You know, Rob, Disney has, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, mixed success when it comes to their live-action adaptations of some of their animated classics, right? You have Maleficent, which wasn't so good. But at the same time, you had Aladdin, which was really good. You had, well, Maleficent 2, which also wasn't very good. But then again, you had Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella, which was really good. One of the ones that kind of gets a mixed reaction was Beauty and the Beast. Uh, I enjoyed Beauty and the Beast, the live-action version. I mean, it was nowhere near as good as the original animated, but it was good. The Emma, I can't, I keep forgetting. It's not Emma Stone. It's Emma. What? What Emma is this one? Who started the the Harry Potter girl? Emma. Oh, Watson. Uh, Emma Watson. That's Watson. it. Emma Watson. Emma. I love Emma Watson, but she was a curious choice to play Belle, just because she's not. She's definitely a better singer than me, but she's not a super strong singer and felt a little bit out of place. But I'll tell you one of the things that did work for me, Rob, in that Beauty and the Beast. Luke Evans as Gaston and Josh Gad as LeFou. I yep. I really liked them in that. Like I because when I knew they were coming, that's my instant thought about this movie, Beauty and the Beast is how is Gaston gonna turn out? No one. I mean, how is Gaston gonna be? And I thought Luke Evans did a terrific job as Gaston. I thought Josh Gad did a great job as LeFou. I love their chemistry. Now, about a year or so ago, maybe a little bit more, we heard some whispers that maybe, just maybe, uh, Disney was looking at possibly doing a Beauty and the Beast prequel series focusing on Gaston and LeFou. Then we never really heard anything about it. Until this morning, I opened up my email, got a notification from Disney publicity saying, yep, it's official. We have greenlit. It's all a go. It's official. It's happening. They are going to be doing a Beauty and the Beast Disney Plus prequel series that is going to mainly feature Luke Evans as Gaston and Josh Gad as LeFou. Now, listen, I'm not big normally on the general idea of you know taking a movie spin-off and making a series prequel series out of it I, i'm sure it's worked from time to time but I, i'm not gonna lie to you i think this will work i i think luke first of all i think luke evans is like i he's not on the same level as hugh jackman but he's in that ilk you know what i mean he's a hugh jackman like guy where he's multi-talented yeah. tons of charisma Clearly, he's not Hugh Jackman, but he's kind of of that same vein. And I have grown to appreciate Josh Gad more and more and more over the years. Like, to me, he just used to be a bit of a goof. But in the last number of years, I've seen him playing some dramatic roles and whatever. I've actually come to appreciate him a lot. And this is a show, Rob, that I actually think can work. And I'm not going to lie. I'm excited to see it. I think this could be a real winner. Anyway, Rob, you hear about them green lighting this Gaston and LeFou kind of Beauty and the Beast prequel. Good idea, bad idea. Do you think people are going to watch it? What do you think? I, why wouldn't you? I mean, he's always been an exciting performer. I think I think he always classes the joint up. I would love to see uh I'd love to see the show. I mean, I thought he was great as Gaston. And if we're getting if we get to see where he comes from, what makes him tick, bring it on. I'd watch that. I agree. Question is for you guys. What do you think? It's now official. They've greenlit the Gaston Beauty and the Beast prequel series on Disney Plus. I love it. Do you guys think it's a waste of time? Maybe you love it too. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. 
with that down, let's do one more off the top, and that is this. You know, Rob, the uh, Kevin Feige kind of shocked the world a couple of years ago when he got on stage, I believe it was at Comic-Con. He got on stage at Comic-Con, and not only did they announce that they're doing Thor Love and Thunder, but that Natalie Portman was returning. And not only was she returning, but as they did in the comic books, we were going to get her as the mighty Thor. She was going to, and then of course, Taika Waititi, remember this? Taika Waititi got down on one knee and presented Mjolnir Hammer to her when she came out on stage. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, so all that kind of stuff. Now, so we've known that's been coming, but we haven't really had a good look. Even though they've been filming Thor Love and Thunder, we haven't really got a good look. However, a little thing leaked this morning, as happens a lot, where a piece of merchandising, Rob, came out that caught people's attention that is apparently giving away what she's going to look like. Now, this is just a T-shirt, but it's still kind of interesting. As we see this look here, let me bring this up. This is interesting when I look at this. So we're getting our kind of, now obviously we see Thor right there in the middle and he's wielding Stormbreaker. And then of course we see Valkyrie in a slightly different looking outfit on the one side, but then on the other side, wielding Mjolnir is we've got Mighty Thor, of course, Jane uh, doing that there. And we get our first kind of look at that. Now, this look that we're getting of it, I'd say is pretty consistent with what we were all probably expecting her to look like, but it is kind of interesting getting our first glimpse through something like this. I'm looking forward to seeing some actual onset photos of her in these outfits, because look, think about what you will about the Star Wars prequels, whatever. Natalie Portman is a fantastic actress. Natalie Portman's a boss. And even though while I love Thor and stuff like that, I've kind of felt like the the romantic relationship between Thor and Jane has been a pretty weak element of the Thor story so far. Even though Chris Hemsworth's a terrific actor and Natalie Portman's a terrific actress, for me, they've just never really been able to generate a lot of chemistry together. That being said, I think this could be really interesting. Rob, you've had a chance to take a look at this uh, first image here. What are you thinking right now? Uh, look, I, there's nothing about Thor, Love and Thunder that I'm not excited to see. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I look at this and uh, this is something, once again, Marvel has gone back to their comic book source material and they're incorporating it into the tapestry of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And maybe not exactly. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Taika Waititi is coming back. I loved, I had so much fun with Thor Ragnarok. There is nothing about this movie that doesn't excite me on some level. And I see this and I'm like, look, of course you had Jane Foster become Thor in the comics. And I look at this and I'm like, yep, I can't wait. And knowing that Taika Waititi is at the helm, I, I can guarantee you this is going to be one hell of a good time at the movies. And this has done nothing uh, except uh, emphasize that to me. I agree. Question is for you guys. You've had a chance to take your first look. Now, granted, it's only a print on a T-shirt. It's not the clearest picture. But still, we got our first kind of actual physical manifestation now of what Jane is going to look like as Mighty Thor. And she is wielding Mjolnir again. How do you guys feel about it? Where's your anticipation level right now for Thor Love and Thunder? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. 
Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you think we need to feature as a main topic here on the John Campy Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampyshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campius Show. And by the way, Epic Dub Time 23 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. All right, with that down, let's get on to main topic number one. Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, John, you know, when the Lord taketh away like he has with manifest the Lord also giveth John the Lord also steps in and give us back gives gives greatness back Mason K says hey John wondering if you saw the Gerard Butler film Greenland is getting a sequel bless you have you seen the first one and what are your thoughts on a sequel and how did the first film make enough money to justify a sequel since it was released on VOD thanks and keep up the great work well, you know, Mason, I would say it was also released on Blu-ray, and I, for one, was there because I own it. God bless everybody involved in Greenland. I loved it. It follows on the heels of other great films such as Armageddon and Deep Impact, and it's about a giant stellar object hitting the Earth, basically destroying everything, and a family that has to fight to survive and make it to Greenland where they'll be sequestered away in a bunker where some semblance of humanity can reside. And let me tell you, it's awesome as far as those kind of movies go. Loved it. So when I read this, Variety says, the core filmmaking team returns with director Rick Womanwow headlining from a script by Greenland writer Chris Sparling. Butler reprises his role as structural engineer. Now let that sink in. The main character, the hero that he was playing was a structural engineer. What kind of franchise provides that as the main <laughs> trait of your, her your hero? <laughs> Alongside co-star Miranda Bakarin, Deadpool and Homeland is Allison Garrity. In a continuation of the story, the Garrity family, who survive a near-extinction level event when an interstellar comet hits the Earth, must leave the safety of the Greenland bunker and embark on a perilous journey across the decimated frozen wasteland of Europe to find a new home. John, to say that this excites me to no end is an understatement. <laughs> I loved Greenland. I love this genre of film, and God bless the entire team for coming back. And I think, look, clearly... I mean, I think this movie, to be honest, to be all, all kidding aside, I really do think this is a great film because at the end of the day, while it dealt with the apocalyptic near extinction of humanity, at its core, it was really the story of a family. You know, it played that great trope, husband's done something bad and he's lost his wife and kids, just like John McClane in Die Hard. He has to sort of tuck his tail between his legs. He still loves his wife. He knows what he did is wrong. He wants to repent. And then suddenly an extinction level event shows up and thwarts any uh, efforts he has to save his family. But you know that in, in the face of Armageddon, he'll do everything he can to get back with his wife and save his family, save his kids. And it's awesome. And I loved it. And color me stoked, John. God bless you for making this possible, Lord, because you took manifest from me last night. But you gave me back Greenland today. So thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. What do you think? I, I I'll be honest with you. I was a little bit torn. Don't arch my mellow, John. I, I, I'm not, I don't mean to yuck on your yum. But when I first read the news that they were going to do a Greenland 2, I was a little bit torn. Because on the one hand, like you, I really enjoyed the movie. It, and it was so much more than what I thought it was going to be. I thought on its surface, it just looked like it was going to be another one of these kind of mindless, you know, the, the day after or you know, whatever, one of these mindless, like disaster movies, right? Like a Roland Emmerich kind of special, which some of them, some of those I really like too, but you're right. It was a movie about a family and Rob, that one scene that, that often sticks with me when I think about it, that scene with him where they're there and he's talking to his dad and, and the dad is like Scott Glenn. Yeah. Played by Scott Glenn from hunt for red October. And he's just like, I'm not going anywhere. I like that. There was something very resonant about that scene and the whole thing right down to the end when the comet was about to hit earth and they're underground and blah, blah. I mean, it, everything just worked and it worked like it, it kind of reminds me a little bit, Rob, like a quiet place in the sense that, yeah, there's this natural disaster happening or yeah, there's these monsters, but really the story's about these characters and about this family. And that's where this thing works and where it really sings. But still, I was a little bit torn. It's like, really? You're going to do another one? Where do you go? But then you read that synopsis and the synopsis of, okay, this is actually still a really good setting. What happens after the comet hits? This is a really good setting for an opportunity to tell more of these characters' story with their dynamic and their relationship and what happens and there's more trials and tribulations to come. Now, look, it did make some money at the box office. It made a little over 50 million at the box office. And it wasn't a super expensive movie to make. And I'm sure the second one will also not be all that expensive. And I'm sure they feel with the positive word of mouth that the first one got combined with the fact that now they can make this thing and not worry about a pandemic. They're probably feeling pretty good about it. So, yeah, Rob, I got to say, after reading that synopsis, I'm like, you know what? Okay, hell with it. I'm on board. I'm on board. And I like Gerard Butler and who doesn't love Morena Baccarin. So yeah, anything that gets them more on screen, I'm good for. The question is for you guys. What do you think about the news of them doing a second Greenland movie? I was a little apprehensive at first, but the more I think about it, the more I think it can work. How do you guys feel? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. And by the way, Kung Fu Hot Dog sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kung Fu, for supporting us, man. I appreciate that. All right. With that down, let's now move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Kyle Arking, who writes, A new Guardians of the Galaxy video game was announced, and I noticed a lot of people online complaining about the characters not looking like the actors from the movie. I don't think they should, since it's not the same universe. Do you think the video game characters should look like the ones we see in the movies? Thanks. All right. Thanks for saying that in, man. And yeah, new Guardians of the Galaxy game announced. Sounds pretty cool. I like Guardians of the Galaxy very much. This reminds me, Rob, you remember, it was about, I guess it's about a year ago now when that Avengers game came out and they finally showed yeah. the first footage of it and everybody was like, wait a minute, because everyone was expecting this new Avengers game that was coming out, that it would be that Thor would look like Chris Hemsworth, that Iron Man would look like Robert Downey Jr., that Captain America would look like Chris Evans. And a lot of people got very upset because the game company did not make expectations clear. This is not 
the Avengers movie, the game. It's a separate thing. It's a different thing. Much like Spider-Man on PS4 and PS5 is not the Spider-Man from the movies or anything like that. It's its own individual, unique story and world that they're telling. With Guardians of the Galaxy, they seem to be doing the same approach. This comes to us from the folks over at Screen Rant who write, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy will establish its own unique universe according to developer uh, Edos Montreal. This might be surprising news for some fans who likely assume that the new game would neatly fit into the Marvel's Avengers canon. The cosmic superhero game was revealed at the Square Enix presentation at E3 2021 Showcase, detailing a choice-based narrative and showing off a large chunk of game play. The game is mostly inspired by Guardians of the Galaxy comic books with the characters appearances translating directly from the pages of the comics. So not only is this game not connected to the movie universe, it's also not connected at all to that other Avengers game. It's its, its own unique story. Should these characters in these games look like they do in the movies? No, they shouldn't. Not unless... It's supposed to be connected, canonical story. If it's supposed to be connected and canon with the MCU, then by all means, these they should look the same. But they're not. They're not supposed to be part of the movie universe. These aren't supposed to be those Guardians of the Galaxy. This is the comic book iteration. And honestly, I like that they're doing it this way. Not everything under the damn sky has to be shared cinematic universe. Look again, Rob, I go back and point to that Spider-Man game that we were talking about, right? right. That Spider-Man game is a great example of that. That Spider-Man game is not just a great game. It's a great story. And they're only able to tell this great story because it's not connected to the cinematic thing. This is why I go on all the time, why studios like Marvel and Warner Brothers should make some standalone individual movies more because you can tell some great stories when the storytellers are free from having their handcuffs on saying you have to stick to what's going on in the shared cinematic universe. So I'm fine with that. The more interesting thing to me that it was that this Guardians of the Galaxy isn't connected to the other video game. But again, they think they've got a great story. To tell this story, it would be con in conflict with other things. So no, basically speaking, unless these games are supposed to be canon stories connected to the movies, I don't think the characters should look like they do in the movies because that would also create some confusion. Rob, you know, you've had a chance to take a look at this. Do you think, I mean, understanding how popular the MCU is and the actors who play them, when they make games like this, should it be important to them to make these characters look like the actors who play them in the movies? You know, I don't I don't think so because if they look like the characters in the movies, first of all from a from a just a game production perspective, they'd have to pay for the likeness rights, which would up the uh cost of producing a game because they have to pay all the actors. And second, then you wonder is this canonical? Is this supposed to be in the same universe as the 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 movies like you were pointing out and i i think that you know by going the comic book route the games develop their most importantly their own identity you know they're they they've got their own in-game continuity that is unaffected by anything else and i think that's the best way to go for a game so that the game itself establishes its own version of the guardians 
that you can follow. And if they make, if the game is good and they do Guardians 2 and Guardians 3, then you get your own, like a new take on the Guardians that's unique to the game itself. And I think it's a better experience, really. Because also there is a stigma, you know, there's always been a stigma with with game deri- uh, games derived from movies. You know, there's a long history of them other than maybe Star Wars games, a lot of them haven't been as good as we might have wanted them to be. And I think it, 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 uh, having a game having its own identity, is, I think, is important. And I, I, I like what they're doing. I like that they've taken designs from the comics, and, and there's been very many different designs of the Guardians over the years, but I think it's cool. I agree. I agree. All right, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? Like, they're moving ahead with these games. A Guardians game is coming that is not connected to either the MCU or the other games. I think it's great because it gives freedom to the people who are writing these stories to tell some great stories. But maybe you think there's advantages to doing it a different way. How do you guys feel about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. Rob. What is our third main topic today? Well, John, first of all, I want to thank you for giving me this topic to read. <laughs> and it comes from it comes from Quinn Fowley. Hey, John and Rob, I hope this finds you well. I was wondering if you saw a report about the DC animated sitcom Harley Quinn. The report discussed how DC's higher-ups told Harley Quinn's writers to cut a sex scene between Batman and Catwoman from a season three episode because, quote, it's hard to sell a toy if Batman is also going down on someone. <laughs> I think DC should have let Harley Quinn's writers bring on the filthy. But what are your thoughts? Well, Quinn, you and I clearly park our shuttlecraft in the same shuttle bay because I would say amen, sir. Uh, to me, if Batman's going down on Catwoman, that just makes him all the more admirable. Here's somebody who can bring the filthy. I mean, they were going to get married at one point. I mean, I think everyone knows consenting adults like Batman and Catwoman are living life on the edge. They also probably enjoy their sensual pleasures. And to know that one of my all-time favorite superheroes is a cunning linguist just makes me like him <laughs> all the more. So uh, this IndieWire says, quote, it's incredibly gratifying and free to be using characters that are considered villains because you just have so much leeway, Halpern said. By the way, Har- Har- uh, Hal- Halpern is uh, one of the show creators of Harley Quinn. Yes, one of the show creators. Uh, a perfect example of that in the third season of Harley when we had a moment where Batman was going down on Catwoman. And DC was like, you can't do that. You absolutely cannot do that. They're like, heroes don't do that. So we said... <laughs> Are you saying heroes are all just selfish lovers? They were like, no, it's that we sell consumer toys for heroes. It's hard to sell a toy if Batman is also going down on someone. Uh, this comes to us from IndieWire. And I would say just the opposite. Au contraire, <laughs> DC executives. I don't understand where you get that. Uh, the only thing I would worry about if Batman's cowl is still on, maybe his ears might get in the way of doing a good job. But other than that, I would say that I, for one, am here. What do you think, John? Can Batman bring the filthy? Should he bring the filthy? And should, I mean, in the show, the kind of show Harley Quinn is, I don't really think it's out of the box. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, oh, oh boy, uh, how do I follow that up? All right, look, look, on the one hand, I should point something out. A little bit later in that same interview, uh, the, the showrunner and show creator also did say, just so there's no confusion, 
that DC has been like the most supportive and backing them up and giving them tons of leeway. He just praises DC so much for working with them and all the stuff they've been allowed to do that he said, frankly, many, if not no other studio would allow us to do. Maybe Amazon would if you've watched The Boys. But other than that, he said, DC has let us do just about anything we want to do. All right. Let me let me address this seriously for a second. Okay. <laughs> the DC Sorry. guys raise a valid point. Now, look, we as fans, we're very myopic. We are. As fans, sure. all we care about is what I want. That's all we do. That's me. That's us as consumers. That's us as audiences. We are very, very short-sighted, and we're very myopic. We see one very narrow field of view, which is what I want. I'm like that. Audiences are like that. However, when you're somebody like a Kevin Feige or you're somebody like a DC, you do have to look beyond that. And you have to look a little bit bigger picture. And if you're DC and you get, look, our most valuable IP is Batman. And while we're okay with him being in Harley Quinn and maybe doing and saying some ridiculous things, we do want to be a little bit more cautious with him. You can have the Joker do whatever you want. You can have Clayface do whatever you want. You can have Harley or Ivy do whatever you want, but we do got to protect at least a little bit our Batman character. Again, I'm not saying, Rob, that's what I would have done. I'm not saying if I was in the DC head offices, I would have done that. But I think if we as audience members can step out of our little myopic me, 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 what I want to see, what I want to see thing and look at a bigger picture, you can at least appreciate where the DC guys are coming from. I think I get it. So... Having said that, Rob, I get it. I get why they did that. I don't blame them for doing that. They do let Harley Quinn get away with a hell of a lot of stuff, and it's fantastic. Um, I love the Catwoman character, by the way, on Harley Quinn. The, I, I love all the characters, but the Catwoman character is really, really cool on it. At any rate, having said and laid the groundwork saying, I understand where DC's coming from. I don't blame them for making that decision. All hail DC for giving the Harley Quinn writers so much freedom to do anything they want to do, really. I will say this. If you're concerned about the Batman image, why let him be on the Harley Quinn show in the first place? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's all I'm saying. Like, I, I get it. You do want to protect the Batman IP, but... That's kind of gone. The moment you put him in as a regular character, I mean, he's not as regular as, you know, as, as Clayface or, or Harley or Ivy or anything like that, but he's in the show fairly regularly. And if you're going to have him in this show, then you've got to understand that just by being in the show, the audience already understands this is not the real Batman. The audience understands this isn't the real Batman. This isn't the real Superman. Listen to us nerds. The real Batman, as if there's a real Batman out there. But you know what I'm saying? This is not truly Batman, just like the Superman and Harley Quinn is not truly Superman. I think the audiences who watch it get it. And Rob, I would also say that the five-year-old kids who are buying Batman toys are not watching Harley Quinn. At least, you know, if they have responsible parents, their parents are not allowing them to watch Harley Quinn anyway. So, look, I, I, I'm saying I get it. 
I understand why they made that decision and I don't blame them. However, I would have made a different choice because you've already got him on Harley Quinn anyway. You have him doing some pretty ludicrous things there anyway. The audience of Harley Quinn understands this isn't the true version of Batman or Superman or Aquaman or others who appear in the show. And, uh, you know, all the girlfriends I've had, they will tell you real heroes do go down. Real heroes go down. So, I mean, it, it depends on who you're asking, I suppose. But, I, but, but uh, Rob, take a step back for a second. Let's say you are in the DC head offices and, and you're responsible not just for this one cartoon show. You're responsible for protecting the IP, fostering the IP. You're looking bigger picture. Do you have a conversation with the show creators about this? And, and which way would you tell them to go? Down. <laughs> I set you no, up for that I, way I, too I, easy. No, I, in all I set you up way too easy for that. <laughs> By the way, we haven't planned this. I, again, this might be my favorite conversation we've had in almost three years we've done this show together, John. No, but look, I, I think obviously, you know, there is a question uh, with the Batman character, with any comic book character, if you're going to inject sexuality you're you're moving the needle into a, a, another realm and where does it end i mean you know it's not like harley quinn and, and batman are going to celebrate international women's day the way deadpool does but i think that it's important to understand where the line is drawn um and obviously harley quinn's a very irreverent show they get away with a lot but i think that I think that bringing overt sexuality like this into the show might be a misstep only because while I think it's, it's pretty funny. Um, it does open a can of worms that if you're going to return to that, uh, the fact is Batman is beloved the world over. And maybe this, as much as I love bringing the filthy, I, I don't necessarily, it's so weird for me to say this, not appropriate, Maybe. I mean, I think that's what they're what they're worried about, because it does if there was if there was other instances of this, you know, like on the boys or something. But it seems a little out of left field that they're incorporating such overt sexuality, uh, sexual activity in this show. So I can totally understand where they're coming from. I can get it that once you go there, the, the floodgates are open and where does it end? So I get that. Um and I, I think that's okay for them to say, okay, our show is going to, we're going to push the envelope up to a point, but we're just not going to go here. Right. And I can I, see that. But, but on the other hand. It's not completely consistent either, because remember in that, what was a killing joke? They showed Batman banging Batgirl on a rooftop, like his friend's yeah. daughter. So like, yeah, they, uh, they where do, do you draw the right. line? You're, you're right. You're right. I mean, there, there's, it's not like it's unprecedented. And of course in the comics, they were going to get married. So, but, but look, for me, if I personally was making the show, to me, anything goes. And I, I, I'm like, who, who wouldn't want to see as long as it's, it's well done. But I do understand, uh, I know it seems so odd. I mean, Americans, we, we've always had a problem with sex. We can kill as many people as we want on screen, but have somebody touch a boob and <gasps> everyone freaks out. And, uh, I've always thought that was odd. So I can see, I guess, both sides of it. I, I think the scene is would have been probably great for the show, 
but I can understand their concerns. Yeah, and and, and it, it's easier to to digest it when you un- hear the, him also go on saying, "Listen, it's not like DC is hard on us. It's not not like DC doesn't let us do anything. They give us tremendous amounts of freedom, do a lot. This was just the one time." They made us not. It, it does remind me a lot of the boys situation where the showrunner of the boys is saying, yeah, they let us do anything except one thing. The one thing they didn't let us do in season one, he said, was we had a scene where we had Homelander at the top of a building, drop his pants and start to masturbate over the city and shoot out all over the city to which Chris Carr coined the fabulous phrase soup goop. It's like, yes, covered the city in soup goop. And he said, that's the one thing they didn't let us do. But then they slipped it into the end of season two, which was kind of funny. Anyway, guys, question is for you. Serious question. Not as a fan, but if you're an executive at DC, do you put some restraints on what they can do with really valuable IPs like Batman on the show? Or do you just kind of go... Hey, listen, the show is already completely bonkers. If we're putting the character in it, you might as well let them go bonkers. I don't, I honestly think it's a tough situation. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Aaron, not that Rogers. Oh, so so not that Aaron Rogers. So uh, on Aaron Rogers writes in, uh, hey, John and Rob, did you guys see the tweet from Sony Pictures Argentina put up and then deleted of the Spider-Man No Way Home logo with the Spidey music, but right at the end of the logo does the exact same glitch effect that the Spider-Man characters had in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Does this tease some sort of connection with the animated movie or confirm that multiple Spider-Men will appear like they did in the animation? What do you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And of course, listen, there's been a lot of speculation and a lot of talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. Number one, just because it's the third movie and everybody's super stoked about it because we've really enjoyed the first two. Number two, because we've got Jamie Foxx and Alfred Molina and other old you know, villains confirm they're back doing it. Also, because there's been a lot of rumors and speculation about whether or not Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire will appear. There's been nothing official stated about that. But, you know, I kind of believe they will, even though I have no proof of that. And we can't say it is actually happening, but I kind of believe it will anyway. And then, of course, with the whole mixture of the multiverse, a lot of stuff going on. Well, Aaron is right. The Sony Pictures Argentina, an official site, They put out this little video, okay? They put out this little video where the Spider-Man logo, this Spider-Man logo comes out, and then you hear that da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, like that classic but done with an orchestra kind of music. And then all of a sudden, the logo does this glitch with a little sound effect behind it, which was incredibly similar to that of the glitch effect that the various other other universal Spider-Men in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse would experience. You know, they'd be sent around all of a sudden, and they'd have that glitch. And they kind of did that here. Now, this comes to us from the folks 
over at uh, comic book movies who writes Sony Pictures Argentina recently shared the official title title card for Spider-Man No Way Home in Spanish and a video that has since been deleted appears to tease the MCU's version of the multiverse. As you can see, the title glitches near the end in a way that instantly brings back memories of 2018's Oscar-winning Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. We're obviously not expecting a crossover with that movie yet. Is it obvious? I, I don't know that I agree with them. I don't know that it is obvious. Anyway, but this would be a fun way for Sony to tease plans for Tom Holland's Peter Parker to cross paths with the versions played by Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Again, no confirmation of anything, but it is interesting. Rob, I, you know me. I am the guy who says, everybody hold your horses. When when these rampant speculations start going, I say, okay, okay, it's, it's fun to talk about, but everybody just calm down. There's been no official word. Don't count on this, blah, 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 right? I'm always that guy. But I got to say, I rewatched that little video clip. Had to have been about 20 times last night. I was sitting down outside, had a fire going, and I was just played that clip over and over again. Because you hear that music, which sounded pretty reminiscent coming out of that animated movie as well. Rob, I think there's two possibilities here. Number one, because I, I mean, maybe you'll disagree and I'll want to ask you about this, but to me, there's no denying this was purposefully made to resemble what the glitch was in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It, it's obvious it's purposeful that they do that. So to me, that means one of two things. Either one, that there is going to be some sort of, by reference or by actually someone or something on screen, some sort of connection to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Whether that's Spider-Ham, you know, Peter Porker, the amazing Spider-Ham, comes walking in, voiced by John Delaney, saying, hello, in the only the way his voice can do it, I don't know. Or, or it's just a foreshadowing saying, hey, remember Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? With all those Spider-Men coming in, it means Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to be there. I, I I just think it means one or the other. Either it is there's going to be connection to the animated thing, or we are going to see. And again, there has been no official confirmation that Andrew Garfield himself has flat out denied that he's in the film. He says, look, they've never even given me a call. So, no. But that could be a misdirect. And maybe I'm just reading way too much into it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't think that I am. So anyway, Rob, you saw this little thing. You saw the glitch. I mean, maybe it didn't remind you of Spider-Verse. It did for me. What did you think about it, and what do you ultimately think it could possibly mean? Well, not only did I see this, I screen-capped the glitch and tweeted the, the screen-cap out yesterday. <laughs> you know, I didn't know it was going to get pulled down. I was like, ooh, this is interesting. Like you, I think this meant uh, uh, the first thing I saw was those are Miles Morales's colors right there. And, you know, I've often said, John, I think I've said on this show, wouldn't it be cool if Spider-Man No Way Home, if it is a multiverse kind of a thing, that there's an animated sequence in it where Tom Holland's Peter Parker winds up in an animated segment, a la like Pink Floyd, The Wall or something, where he and he interacts with Miles Morales. I'm like, how bonkers would that be? I mean, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I've not heard that's going to happen. I was just thinking, wouldn't it be cool if? But I think it absolutely, absolutely 
says that we're going to have some kind of a multiverse connection, which I've often said that judging by where we're at on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the first indication that there is some kind of a multiverse spillover was seeing J. Jonah Jameson in Far From Home. I know you and I, you and I have disagreed about this, but I think that's the first manifestation that we would have seen. We're going to go back and go, oh. But I, I think that's exactly what that glitch meant. I think that um, uh, maybe you know they were afraid to give that away, but it's like, bruh. Uh, I think a trailer for Spider-Man is going to show up on Black Widow. And as the days tick by, we're getting closer to that reveal. Do you think they're not going to show us in that trailer what we're in store for? And um, look, man, I'm there for it. I'm 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 pretty damn excited about this upcoming Spider-Man movie. I'm not going to lie. I think so, you and I both agree that. You know, cause there's been some, first of all, I see a bunch of people in the live chat when, when I mentioned that Andrew Garfield denied that he was in the film, which again, could be a misdirect, right? But yeah. it is important to note that 10,000 times out of 10,001, when an actor says they're not in something, turns out they're not. I mean, it, it's very, very rare. Yes, we can point back to when J.J., Abrams said Benedict Cumberbatch wasn't playing um, Khan yet, which was like, I don't know, what was that, 11 years ago? Yes, we can point back to, I think it was Bradley Cooper uh, when he denied that he had been cast in A-Team, which was what, 13 years ago? Yes, we can all point to a couple of very, 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 very rare instances. But in saying that they could be misdirecting us, yes, they could. But we also got to keep in mind that it's hyper rare that that's the case. It is almost 100% certainty when they say they're not in it. It usually, like I said, 10,000 out of 10,001 times, it usually means they're not in it. But I still believe they are. I Again, nothing to base that on. I can't say they are definitively. But uh, Rob, I mean, I think what you and I both agree on is that there was some talk before that if Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are in this movie, they won't show it in the trailer. I believe they will. Me too. I, I believe they will. Because the whole, if you're going to pull a stunt like putting Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in there, which I believe if they are in the movie, it is going to be very, very small part. It's going to be a small part, probably just for a couple of minutes and they're probably gone. But you're doing that to raise interest in the movie and to get butts in the seat. And if your purpose and goal is to raise excitement and get butts in the seat, then you can't hide it. you got to show it in the trailer. So now that doesn't necessarily mean the first trailer, because I think you're right, Rob. I think we are we are imminently close to our first Spider-Man No Way Home look. I think we are imminently close to it. And I think you're right. I think it'll probably play with Black Widow and probably come out even before that. I don't know that. I'm just speculating as a fan. And I don't necessarily think they'll show us if Garfield and McGuire are in it, and that's still an if, and if they're in it, it won't necessarily show them in the first trailer, but they could. It would certainly come in a later one. I, I don't know, Rob, where do you think right now as far as, let's go, let's go on the assumption for a moment that Garfield and McGuire are in it. We know that they are not officially in it. We know that, but let's just assume for a moment that they are. Do they, do you still believe they will show us in a trailer? And if so, will they do it immediately? Will they wait? How do you think they're going to approach that? Dude, if Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire or even Tobey Maguire, even one or two of them, it is going to be the title of the movie is going to come up at the end of the trailer and it's going to have that tag, you know, that last scene and it's going to be them. 
And, and I don't know them. if they're going to. It's going to show them. They're either all going to be they're all going to be standing in front of one another, and they're all going to take off their masks together, <laughs> or or we're just going to see them show up. It's going to be that. I, I, I look. I'm saying if that's the case with this movie, we know Alfred Molina's in it. We know Jamie Foxx is in it, and maybe that's all they're going to show. But I guarantee you, if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in this movie, this trailer. The first trailer is going to end with a tag that show the both of them. Because, John, what would set the internet ablaze other than something like that? And that's what Marvel is always good at. Is I mean, it's their M.O. And, and you think that they're not going to do that? People would go bananas. We're going to get reaction videos with everybody going, oh, snap. Oh. You know, that, that one of my favorite, what's the meme where the... That there's the black kid, the the most owning you, and he's kind of like leaning back like this. It's my oh, favorite yeah. gif. Yeah. I love it. it. It's that. It's Marvel doing that to the internet yet again, just owning you and everybody holding their faces, going, "Oh my god!" While somebody sits back and go, ah, ah, ah. "You know, it's going to be that thing," and that's what they're going to do. You know, and they you know could... what? Go I'm ahead. there for it, man. I'm there for it. They because could... this is movie marketing 101. They could space it out, though, like, right? Because what is official? Jamie Foxx as Electro is official. Alfred Molina as Doc Ock is official. So they might drop, like, the first spot and show Molina and Fox in it, which would have the same effect. Not as big, but it would have the same effect. Like, people would freak out. And then yeah, they we save already... it. Well, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, then they save it later. Now, by the way, in the live chat, Jason Neese in the live chat just gave a really good suggestion, said July 8th. With the NBA Finals trailer drops there. That's not a bad theory. That's not a bad theory because they they have been dropping these big trailers in the big sporting yeah. events. But you think but I, you think that if McGuire and Garfield are in the movie, which we don't know that they are, but if they are, you think they're going to come right out of the gate, right with that first trailer and drop that on everybody, dude? They're going to do that because they will own the internet. I mean, can you imagine as far as a geek occurrence? You know, this uh, this is this is as big, perhaps. I mean, maybe not. I, I You know what? I'm not going to compare and contrast. But look what Luke Skywalker showing it up at the end of The Mandalorian did. And in this case, this trailer has that same power for people that weren't even. I mean, if if Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 were the first superhero movies you saw in the early aughts, you know, you were like eight years old. What would do more? I mean, isn't that going to blow you away? This is the kind of thing where people will be talking about this. It, it'll have some staying power, you know? And uh, I think that's – if look, if I know if I was marketing Spider-Man No Way Home, that's what I would do. Because people are going to – you'd blow up the internet. Because you know what? If they don't do that and Electro and Doc Ock show up, everybody's going to go, that was cool, but come on. Are you telling me that Tommy McGuire and I think it would be disappointing if it's because we already know they're in the movie. We so it's don't. Like, oh, that was cool. We don't know they're in the movie. That's don't the we know thing. Alfred Molina and Jamie? Oh Fox yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. If you just show them, they're going to be like, yeah, that's cool. But you know what? It, I keep thinking about what Sean Parker said in the Social Network. A million dollars. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. <laughs> and I mean, Doc Ock and Electro are cool. But you know what's really cool? Tobey Maguire and 
Toronto and Andrew Garfield. Here's what I'm hoping. I mean, here's what I'm worried about. That's the mic drop, man. That's the mic drop. But here's what I'm worried about. Let's say they're not in the movie, which is a very, very real possibility that as of right now, officially, they are not in the movie. As of right now, I hope that the fan base will not do what we as fan bases do and become whiny over the fact that I wanted to see something else and they didn't give it to me because let's face it. I do that. We all do that as fans. That's us a lot as as fandom. That's what we do. And I hope we still will just judge the movie on its own merits because I know for some people out there, they are so invested now in McGuire and uh, Garfield showing up that they could make the best comic book movie of all time. And they're still going to be pissy. They're going to be, well, they didn't give us Garfield and McGuire and they're going to be really pissy about it. And John, so they might be in it, but if they're not, I just hope people will still just judge the movie on its own merits. I gotta, I gotta give a shout out to uh, on Twitter, Holland Love. Put this gif, our gif, you want to say it? Put my favorite gif up and said, "Burnett, Sony be like dot dot dot." <laughs> and there's the gif. And I'm looking at it right now, and I'm like, "Yes, that's exactly how I want to feel." At the end of the No Way Home trailer, so Hall of Love, mad props to you, sir. Thanks for, I'm like you. By you the way, what's your Twitter it. handle again? What's your Twitter Twitter handle? Oh, I got it right in front of me. It's Burnett RM. Yes, yeah, Burnett RM, and Hall of Love put it out. Put that, and I just this is my favorite because I've never seen a GIF that ha- is so ubiquitous. It can be used for so many different things, but it's like the ultimate. Everything about this, it's the guy looking straight into the camera and his friend crossing the frame. I love this. It is the my favorite gift of all time, <laughs> and nothing does a better job at summing up exactly what a mic drop that would be. <laughs> so basically, you're saying that's Kevin Feige once they yep. drop a Spider-Man trailer with Andrew Garfield and Tormund McGuire. And Quire the guy in there. crossing the frame is all of us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yep. We'll see. Question is, guys, for you. What did you think about, I mean, I know we've kind of strayed from it a little bit, but what did you guys think about that little clip that Sony Pictures Argentina put up with that little Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse glitch in it? It could mean several things. Maybe it means nothing. How did you guys take it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that nuttiness out of the way, let's go on over and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? And once again, how do you send in a live comment or question for the show? Simply go into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Just click on it there, or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once again, I'm seeing a lot of people send things in and they forget to put in their name at the top. So make sure you put in your name at the top or else it just comes through as anonymous. Because, you know, if you guys are giving us a fun topic to talk about and you're supporting our channel i want to make sure we give you a shout out so make sure you make sure to uh, fill that part out okay let's jump on over and see what it is you guys are talking about we're getting things started here with sam fisher who writes i just bought my tickets to see in the heights in theaters first time in a movie theater since i think november 2019 for joker 19 months man dude and believe me we've uh-huh. all felt it we've all felt it and you know what Going back for In the Heights is a real nice treat for yourself. In the Heights is a wonderful movie. It'll put a smile on your face. It'll make you want to tap your feet. It's just a tremendous movie, despite its absolute box office flopping. It's a wonderful film. I think you're going to have a good time, Sam. All right, next up, Ryan Trabuco writes, one of two. 
I saw In the Heights at an early screening and I loved it. I took my best friend to see it last night. He grew up in Washington Heights and the Bronx and was so emotionally moved. He hadn't laughed and cried so hard during a movie before. Movies like In the Heights feel like they're just hit those emotional beats much more vividly in a movie theater, especially since it's been so long since we had those moments in a theater. Hopefully you and Ann get a chance to see it on the big screen. And we did. And by the way, Ryan like tipped in like 20 bucks each for those. Thank you so much for supporting us on that level, Ryan. Listen, um, In the Heights is absolutely a movie you need to see on the big screen. Uh, it's it's not just the dancing and all that kind of stuff, which is great, but it's, it is really a visually a wonderful sight. It's a wonderful film, just pure visually. And with the music filling it and you're hearing everybody else getting into it that's in the theater as well. In the Heights, Ryan, I absolutely 100% agree with you. This is one, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you like musicals and you've been looking forward to this, I really think you're doing yourself a disservice by just, you know, you know, cheaping out and watching it on HBO Max. Unless you have, you know, you have no other option. That's different, of course. But if you have the option... I would say absolutely see this one in the theater. You you won't regret seeing this one in the theater. All right, next up, we've got Stoner Watch Productions writes, Hey, John, you were talking about the new Highlander to star Henry Cavill. I also love the first Highlander, effing classic, and I also agree Highlander 2 sucked. Uh, and But what are your thoughts on Highlander 3, the final dimension? Rob, not a lot of people bring up Highlander 3 to me. Uh, that's not one because Highlander one, my, one of my top 10 favorite films of all time, Highlander two, one of the worst films ever made Highlander three, Mario Van Peebles was in there. Remember that Mario Van Peebles, I think was the villain. I think he played Kane anyway. Um, it basically pretended like the, like Highlander two didn't exist. Like when you go and watch Highlander three, if I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember them basically ignoring the events of Highlander two, which was a good move. Um, it's one I don't think about a lot. Like it was an okay movie. It wasn't garbage. Like Highlander two was, it was nowhere near as great as the original Highlander. It just sort of existed and I watched it and it was fine, but I never really went back and watched again. Rob, did you ever watch Highlander three? And if so, what are your memories of it? Oh, John. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I've never seen a fr Highlander three is better than Highlander two, both the renegade cut and the theatrical cut, but it's just, it, it's, it, it strays, it, it strays so far away from the original. I mean, I, I appreciate what they were trying to do, but I just don't think it, it lives up. It just dilutes the original. I, 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 it, the Highlander franchise to me is one of the greatest examples of other than the show with Adrian Adrian Paul. Uh, I thought yeah. the show was legitimately a, a great attempt, a lot like the Sarah Connor Chronicles was a really great That's attempt to carry forth the Terminator mythology. Uh, but I thought again, the movies just were not cutting it, man. And while there's some interesting ideas in it, it I thought it fell short. I agree. All right. Uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes. So we need the TVA to kill somebody to show what they can do to Loki. But we also don't want them to lose all audience sympathy in the first episode. So what's a kind of person they can kill who absolutely everybody hates? I know a snotty trust fund kid. That's right. We were laughing because that kid's like, I don't need to take a ticket. I gave that guy a ticket. Blah, 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 blah. But you're right. That's actually a great observation, Ryan, because you needed to show that the TVA could just wipe you out of existence, but you didn't want 
you didn't want to alienate the audience from the TVA and make, oh, the TVA is so brutal. So what do they do? They give us a snotty, probably rich dude who probably drives a porch and parks it in a handicapped parking spot kind of dude where all of us are like, yep, none of us are going to miss you. That's a great observation, Ryan. Well said. All right, next up, Luke1234 writes, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, people keep asking, why didn't the Avengers show up? Well, every time there is a robbery, your police department doesn't call in the National Guard. If they always need the Avengers to help, then you have to question whether they should be an Avenger then. I mean, that's true. And Rob, you know, they also, they'll often make excuses in these types of things. Even in the comics, it's like Thor's busy. Spider-Man is off saving Dubai or, or something like that. I think at some point, we as movie fans just have to accept this is not Falcon and Winter Soldier and Spider-Man. This is Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's going to be their story. That's what's going to happen. They're not going to call them in. And Rob, I've said from the beginning days of the MCU, one of the big, big risks that the fandom is going to face is that every single time there's an MCU movie, people are going to be whining and crying. Why didn't the Avengers show up? Why didn't Captain America come? Why didn't Thor come and help? Why didn't Black Widow come? You know, and, and we see that every single time we see that with WandaVision. Why didn't so-and-so come? Why didn't so-and-so come? Because it's not their show. I mean, at some point, we're just going to have to accept that and move on. I don't know. How would you address that right now? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, like you said, first of all, we don't even know what the status of the Avengers is. That's true. Sam yeah. Wilson. Sam Wilson was shown as he's working for the government at the or doing black ops at the beginning of Falcon and Winter Soldier, you know, and and, and uh, Bucky himself is going through therapy. These guys are picking up the pieces after the five year ordeal of the snap, and you know the Avengers were sort of decimated. Tony Stark's dead. Steve Rogers is gone. Wanda Maximoff is having her own issues so where are the avengers you know vision is where vision is and and is there even an avengers team we don't know and i and i think that that calling in the avengers like that you know what's funny like you say i don't talk to all of my friends every day and if i'm having difficulty in my own life i don't call in the troops and you know you're handling you're traveling around the world Thor's probably off world. He's gone dealing with, I mean, they took off at the end of end game. So what, what are you, who, who are you going to call? I mean, maybe the only people left are the ghostbusters and even there they're questionable. So I don't, I, I don't know why people feel that way. I don't know who, who you're, who you're, what are they going to do for you? You know, it's funny because they're still uh, during the whole Falcon winter soldier. It's basically a military issue here. You know, they're dealing with black ops and spy craft and all this stuff. So bringing in the Avengers to deal with what is basically a domestic dispute or an international dispute seems counterproductive. Look, if the world's being invaded, you call the Avengers. But dealing with international terrorists or something, is that really their purview now, especially after they've been decimated? Who knows? I mean, I know we saw it in things like Civil War, but but I mean, think about it. Who's left of the Avengers? Black Widow's dead. So. All right. Yep. Well said. Next up, Ern writes, uh, hello, gents. I will always love Aquaman. Yeah, we were talking about on one of the uh, previous videos about, you know, Aquaman and how much it came out of the gate, surprised a lot of people. Like I, I said from the beginning, it's one of those things where I said from the beginning, this movie's going to be a hit and it's going to make money. 
But I did not think it would make $800 million, let alone a billion dollars. And it came out of the grave, became the first MC or DCEU movie to break that billion dollar mark. It was a lot of fun. Not the best DCEU movie, but it was certainly a big crowd pleaser. We liked it a lot. And I'm glad you did too, man. All right, next up. BK Dan writes, John, my theory for far uh for far out to Indy five. Indy comes into the MCU. <laughs> Okay, so you're, you lost me already, BK. Uh, Indy comes into the MCU and meets a mid-aged uh, Peggy Carter as the start of S.H.I.E.L.D. Just a crazy enough idea that just might come to be. What are your thoughts? Oh, zero chance. Absolutely zero. Not because, Rob, now, now we're not only getting people saying, where are the other characters from the MCU? Now we're saying, well, let's bring in the characters who aren't even in the MCU and have right. everything cross over. So, no, BK, I, I would say, I mean, I love the imagination. I love the imagination. But I think it's fair to say that's pretty much an impossibility. That is not going to happen, nor should it happen, nor should it happen at all. But good imagination, man. All right, next up. All right, Stubble McShave writes, I think the Nazi symbols in Indy 5 are from flashbacks. Uh, Indy needs to solve a mystery in the 1970s that's connected to things he did in the 40s. It's possible that Ford will hand over the torch to a younger actor who will play Indy during the 40s in a series on Disney+. That I don't agree with because we've already seen what this Indiana Jones looks like. Look, I do think at some point they're going to reboot Indiana Jones. At some point they're going to reboot Indiana Jones, and well, they should. And they'll hand over the torch to a new actor, but I don't think they're going to hand over the torch to a new actor to be Indiana Jones in the same continuity that Harrison Ford has been Indiana Jones. That just doesn't make any sense. As far as the other thing you're saying there, Stubble, that the scene that we've seen pictures of with the train with all the Nazi symbols, that is one of the big options is that it's probably a flashback. It's probably not Nazis in the 70s. It's probably a flashback. Now, there are some options that mean it's possible that he could be confronting Nazis in his new era, but I think you're probably right. I, I, if I had $1 to bet, I would bet it on it that you're probably right there, Stubble. It's probably a flashback. All right, next up. Uh, Sam Fisher writes, did you see that Jared Kesso yesterday announced that not only have they begun shooting Letter Kenny season 10 and 11, but the character Shorzy is getting his own spinoff. I'm just wondering how they're going to make a TV show about a faceless character. So Shorzy is, for those of you who don't watch Letter Kenny, and Rob, I know you have, um, he's, what was that Tim Allen show where he's the, the handyman? It was his biggest, most popular show. I can't remember of it. Like home uh, improvement. Thank you. Home improvement. And he had that neighbor that you only ever saw him like from the eyes up or something like that. Like you never saw him. That's kind of what uh, Shorzy is. He's this character's his back is always to the camera. You never see him. It's pretty cool. I, I listen, I have not in a bunch of people in the live chat, Matthew, uh, Somniac, real films, dirt. Everybody's writing in home improvement. Thank you guys. And the character's name was Wilson. Thank you guys. Yeah. Ryan, and Mark and Marcus are all writing in Wilson. Yes, the character's name was was Wilson. Um, I honestly don't know how you do a spinoff with that character. I really don't. Uh, and now I and honestly, I don't follow the news about Letter Kenny. I didn't even know they were shooting a season ten and eleven. I only got turned on to Letter Kenny about a year ago, and it was like, oh my god, this is so funny. Um, so it will be interesting to see how they approach that, Sam. All right, next up. 
Sam Fisher also writes, uh, something that I learned, uh, something that I learned a little while ago is the director of WandaVision also directed several episodes of one of my favorite TV shows, Psych, which is really cool. Also, did you see Variety did a roundtable with uh, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, uh, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie and Tom Hiddleston? I did not. Rob, you, I know you and I both get a kick out of these roundtables that Variety often does, but I have not seen this one. Have you taken a look at this one? No, I mean, maybe it's a new one. I love, they've been doing these actor roundtables where one actor talks to another actor. I I didn't know they had that one. I'll definitely watch that. I, be, I bet it's great. Yeah, that one sounds great. Thanks for putting that on our radar, Sam. We'll have to keep our eyes open for that one. All right, next up, uh, Ben Tam writes, uh, been watching since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate that. Did you watch the trailer for Masters of the Universe Revelation? Got me pumped up for it. Music from Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero, Slowly Ramping Up is a perfect match. <sighs> I kind of addressed this on a companion video yesterday, Rob, but I'm going to mm-hmm. say something very, very unpopular. I thought that He-Man trailer was lame. Really? Yeah. I. It was... Actually, I thought it was garbage. I, I thought it was a terrible, terrible trailer. And I thought it was incredibly cringy that they used that same song that a thousand other action things have used, The Holding Out for a Hero, which is a great song, by the way. Now, listen, th- that is not me saying that I don't think the show is going to be great. You and I both, we just did a documentary about trailers. You and I both know that 99.99% of the time, the filmmakers or the showrunners are not the ones who make the trailers. So I don't think Kevin Smith made this trailer. I don't blame Kevin Smith for it. And I believe the show is going to be really fun because I just trust Kevin Smith. I really like his stuff and his sensibilities. So I'm looking forward to the show. I think the show will be really good, but I'm not going to lie. Just because I'm looking for the I I feel like a lot of people, if they like a show or a movie, they're just going to say they like that. I'm looking forward to the show. I think it's going to be good. Honestly, I thought the trailer was lame. I think Kevin Smith probably would have done a much better job himself if he had made it, but uh, it didn't work for me. It really didn't. I don't know, Rob, you saw the trailer. What did you think about it? I liked it. You know, an announcement trailer. I obviously, I have no, absolutely no uh, nostalgia at all for He-Man. I mean, I bought the first releases of the action figures, but that's it. I never watched the show. I did work on a He-Man documentary about eight years ago, but to me, I thought thought it was cool, you know, but uh, it was just a passing thing. I had, uh, again, I had no no stake in it, but I, you know, I liked it, but I did feel the music was a little cliche. Uh, so there it is. I am looking forward to seeing the show though. I am excited about it. All right. Next up, we've got, uh, Joe, the lawyer who writes, I'm willing to overlook the time hopping paradoxes and contradictions for a good show. I think Loki has a lot of potential and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah. Listen, and I think they're doing a very good job with it so far. But as a lot of our viewers have pointed out, some minor inconsistencies, Rob, you and I have both talked before about the fact that whenever you do any kind of a story that involves time travel, you're going to have logic problems. There are going to be, uh, you know, uh, plot holes. There are going to be some logic problems. For example, a few people have written in and pointed out, okay, like Loki getting the Tesseract and then leaving, which then caused Tony and uh, Cap and Scott to go back in time to get another you know, Tesseract. And it's like, well, that can only happen if Loki takes that one, but you're saying Loki wasn't supposed, I, I don't know. And maybe, maybe in the halls of Marvel, they have a good explanation for that. Maybe they do. 
but it's it's always difficult. That's one of the reasons why I generally don't get excited when I hear they're using time travel as one of their story hooks in, in any movie or TV show. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I am loving Loki so far, like a lot so far, but those problems are there. I don't know. Has it bothered you at all seeing that th- those problems? I think it's early on yet. I mean, I'm curious. I mean, I've watched a lot of videos. Uh, I think it was Screen Rant that published a pretty good video looking into all these different alternate timelines but yeah i think they're gonna have to they have a lot to explain to us and i think they know they do so but you just but this is probably one of the biggest if the avengers were supposed to go back in time they go back in time after this nexus event happened how can both of those things be true yep maybe fight hey listen we still got a bunch of episodes of loki to go maybe it gets addressed maybe it gets addressed so let's let's get the show and see what they say. All right, next up, we got uh, Caleb who writes, John, uh, Eco Wyas, a.k.a. Rama, the lead from The Rad and The Rad 2, even radder. Of course, that's The Raid and The Raid 2. I love that. I love that's what you said. <laughs> the Rad has, and The Rad 2, even radder. Thank God for that. Has been cast as hard master in Snake Eyes. Well, that's old news. Uh, he'll be Storm Shadow, uh, Andrew Koji's uncle. So hype. Going to be some epic martial arts action. Listen, I know some people look at me funny when I say... I'm looking forward to this Snake Eyes movie. I, I thought Me the too. first trailer was fun. Um, I don't expect it to be a big G.I. Joe movie, although they are calling it the, the what is it, the rise of G.I. Joe or G.I. Joe Origins, or I can't remember what they're called. It's called Snake Eyes, something, something, G.I. Joe, pff, sploosh. I don't know what it's called. But it's Snake Eyes. I think it looks like fun. I think, you know, the fact that they're jumping on off of trucks while fighting with swords and all that kind of stuff. I think Henry Golding is a bonafide movie star. I, I love watching this guy on film. I think it's going to be fun. So who knows? Maybe it'll be garbage. We'll find out soon enough. But again, Caleb, I think that's actually kind of old news, but it's exciting nonetheless. All right. Next up. Oh, no, not again. Writes. Um, Part one of two. That definitely wasn't Kang in episode one of Loki. I know comics are the comics and the MCU is the MCU, but I googled uh, what the three timekeepers look like in the comics and they look exactly like they do in Loki and they have names, Ast, Vort, and Xanth. Um, It says one of two, but I do not see it. Oh, there it is, part two of two. I also don't think Kang will be introduced in Loki and why are people assuming Kang's the villain of Ant-Man 3? Feige never said that. I predict it will start off as an ally and during Ant-Man 3, he will get obsessed with time and will turn into a villain by the end credits. Well, the problem with that, of course, is you don't know Kang very well if you think he's just going to be some average character that shows up and's like ooh i'm now becoming obsessed with the notion of time no kang has been around for countless timelines and countless eras now granted the movies are the movies the comics are the comics but they usually do stick to those prime main defining factors of what the characters are so i think it is pretty safe to say kang is going to be the villain or a villain at any rate in ant-man 3 Again, when I first, Rob, when I first watched Loki and they showed the timekeepers, I didn't think of Kang. But when a bunch of other outlets started showing some things and saying, look, this is probably Kang, is probably one of the timekeepers, I started thinking about it and I started saying, well, it would connect a lot of dots. I mean, if Kang is one of the timekeepers, it would connect a lot of narrative dots moving forward. So 
I'm not saying I've definitively decided that I think that one of the timekeepers is Kang or not. I, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but I didn't think it before. And now at least I, I'm thinking I see where people are coming from who think it is. I know, Rob, where are you right now? Like you're getting ready to watch the second episode, which comes out tonight. Oh, by the way, I should mention this just quickly. I announced last week that this week would be our first Loki pregame show. I've decided not to do a Loki pregame show today. Because as some people, some of the viewers pointed out to me, since I have seen episode two already, having a pregame show for episode two means every question that comes in, all I could say is, I can't answer that. I can't answer that. I can't answer that because I don't want to give anything away. I can neither confirm nor deny that. That's all I would say in it. So we're going to do, now we are going to do our open spoiler Loki discussion tomorrow for episode two. That is coming tomorrow. And then next week, we will do our first Loki pregame show. So no pregame show today, but we will do our open spoiler discussion tomorrow. Anyway, Rob, back to you about this whole Kang thing. Where's where's your head at right now about whether or not Kang is one of the timekeepers? Yay, nay, somewhere in the middle, uh, well, what are you thinking? Well, again, you know, they go back to the comics all the time to get these things. And Kang, there's all, <laughs> to get into the history of Kang is to get into a, a fall down a rabbit hole. But uh, in a, my short answer is no. I think that Kang is not one of the timekeepers. I think that the timekeepers time and Kang have definitely had their run-ins. They certainly know each other. But I don't think the timekeepers are Kang or were, were Kang. Uh, I mean, you know, there was once a council of Kang. I think it was called yeah, the there council. There was. A, a huge and, stadium filled with Kangs. Yeah, I, I, I just, it's, it, I think it's a different thing. But of course, Kang, Kang has certainly run afoul of the Time Variance Authority. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yes, he has. All right. Next up, we got Michael Wolf who writes, "Hey, John, big fan since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Michael. Here's the ultimate question: If you had to eat one of these for the rest of your life, what would it be? An In-N-Out burger or ketchup on eggs? Choose wisely, my friends. Oh, that's easy. In-N-Out burger doesn't make me gag and vomit. It's just a bad hamburger." It's just not oh, good. Oh, come on. But it's not vomit-inducing like ketchup on eggs. Like, I, I see somebody putting ketchup on eggs, and I I start to have a little bit of a gag reflex thing, let alone whatever. But eh, in and out it's edible. In-N-Out burgers are edible. If I suppose if you desperately need the calories to survive, I suppose it's okay. You disagree, Rob. You are one of all of my other California friends who swear by In-N-Out Burger. Are you not? I, I'm a huge fan of In-N-Out Burger. I love the way they season their meat. I love all the fresh produce that they have on their burgers. And my favorite thing is to have mustard fried four by fours. Those are both things that are on their secret menu. They put a little mustard on the on the burgers before they fry them. And then a four by four is four four meat patties and four pieces of cheese. And yes, that's a thing. And it's glorious. Ah, yeah, there it is. All right, next up, uh, Mars Ack Axe writes, John and possibly Rob, who is here, uh, straight up, what was the last movie you saw that was so funny that you pulled a muscle? It feels like forever since I've seen a movie so funny uh, that one of my ab muscles uh, sting with pain. Not a masochist, but I love a good laugh. That's a good question. Um, I just have a bad memory for remembering what I just saw recently. I feel like I've seen some great comedies recently, but I... I I, I don't know. I can't answer the question. I don't know. Off the top of my head, I don't know. Rob, do you have one off the top of your head? 
Dude, I got to say, man, the last time, uh, it was probably Get Him to the Greek. The whole scene <laughs> when they have the Jeffrey and they're petting the walls. Dude, I've lost that shit. I loved, I loved Get Him to the Greek. I probably loved Get Him to the Greek more than just about anybody. But, uh, man, that scene when I, I, the, I just loved it. Pet the walls. Pet the I'd walls. say in the last year or so, because there haven't been a lot of movies, particularly comedies, in the last year or so, I mean, most of my biggest laughs have come from TV, whether it's Harley Quinn or The Boys uh, or reruns of The Office or Parks and Rec, but it's just been a while. So, I, I, yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I'll think about If it comes up again, I'll see if I can remember it, man. It's a good question, though, Mars. All right, next up, uh, we've got Dean Youngblood, who writes, one of two. Hey, John. In regards to the speculation of Nazis in Indiana Jones 5, in history, there were hundreds of high-ranking Nazi officials who successfully fled to South America by use of rat lines and set up secret Nazi colonies in Argentina and Chile. And they were heavily active in the 60s and 70s doing horrific things. To this day, there is a village, there is villages in South America with strictly Bavarian architecture uh, and filled with German descendants. Crazy history, but not absurd that the Nazis in Indiana Jones 5. Well, and that's one of the things we talked about on the last show. And by the way, Mr. Wolfgang, 69 cents in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mr. Wolfgang. Um, is look, and again, Rob, I keep forgetting the name of the movie where the Nazis escape to a secret hidden base on the moon. Iron Sky, is that it? Iron Sky, yeah. Iron Sky, right? So maybe there's an Iron Sky thing happening where it is. Because like, one of the assumptions about the Nazi train that we saw in the production images is that it's a flashback. But the other option that is valid is that, no, it's actually about a Nazi still operating in the 60s or early 70s whenever Indiana Jones 5 takes place. And so that's a, a, a strong possibility as well. Rob, if you had to guess right now, looking back at those images of that train with all the Nazi symbols, is that a flashback to the 40s? Or is it yes. dealing with a reemergent uh, Nazis later on in the 60s or 70s? You're saying in the 40s? Flashback? Yeah, because I, if, they, if they're if they reemergent Nazis, I think the last thing they're going to do is, is put swastikas on a train that they're having go through the countryside. Like, mm. here we are. No, it's definitely a flashback, and I think that whatever's going on, they're going to somehow tie in uh, the something was instigated in the 40s that it maybe it was a fail safe that the Nazis put in place that if they were defeated, that when everybody wasn't looking, this thing was going to something to do with the supernatural and super science was going to come together and manifest itself and uh, reemerge in the 60s or 70s to wreak havoc on the modern age and hopefully restore the fourth Reich to where it should have been uh, back in the forties. And Indiana Jones is going to have to thwart this from happening. All right. Next up, uh, Wes Maurer writes one of two. Hey, John and Rob, listening to you talk about the She-Hulk series and the fact that Abomination is returning, which I am also excited for. I'm super stoked about that. Anyway, the yeah. Incredible Hulk movie isn't top three MCU movies, but it is a favorite. Was just curious about your opinions on that version of the Hulk. It's never a go to movie to rewatch because it isn't on Disney Plus. I just wanted to know who you liked in the role uh, as Banner better, Ruffalo or Norton. The show gets me through any rough day. Oh, thanks so much for that, uh, Wes. I appreciate that, dude. Yeah, listen, I, I obviously am a little bit biased. I like that Hulk movie, obviously, Rob. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I make a couple little quick appearances in it. But yes, I, I do like that movie. 
it's always difficult to answer that question about because rob over the years we've been asked this a lot who did banner better norton or ruffalo and it's hmm. hard to say because even though they are technically the same character this isn't a reboot right it's not like the the uh nick nolte you know phantom hulk dogs uh movie this this movie the edward norton one is mcu canon mark ruffalo was just recasting the role he's not a new banner and some people forget that but it's difficult to answer rob because of two things one we've seen a lot more of ruffalo in the role than we did of norton we only saw norton the one time so it's 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 kind of hard to judge two even though they are supposed to be the exact same guy they've written banner a little bit differently once ruffalo took over the role right? He's less serious than say the Norton character was. They've written him differently. So it's hard. I, so I don't know. All I can tell you is this. I really did like Edward Norton's portrayal of Banner. I really did. I thought it was very, very good. It was a little bit more of a stoic Banner, a guy really wrestling with the demon that he has, as opposed to the more jovial nature they took with him once Ruffalo took over the role and the writers started to write him a little bit differently. So I love them both. But I, I, it's hard for me to say which one I think did it better. I don't know, Rob. Do, do you have an opinion on that? Well, I mean, yeah, we got, we've gotten a lot. We've seen Mark Ruffalo. I, I mean, I think The Incredible Hulk is is a is a better movie than most people. It's like the forgotten MCU film. It's the most people give it credit yeah. for. But I, I, I mean, they they gave Ruffalo, I think, more to play, especially like when he's first introduced and the relationship that he's had with Black Widow, and even I mean, I know a lot of people don't like Professor Hulk because they want to see him Hulk out, but I think Ruffalo was really having a good time with that, and it was entertaining. But I, I think I probably like Ruffalo in the in the role better. Uh, but, yeah, but again, again, it's hard to say because they wrote him a little bit differently once ruffalo took it over so it's it's hard to say but i do love the mark ruffalo banner i really really do all right uh let's go next up here we've got uh Kay white who writes indy five during the making of the fourth early ideas were to have indy look for a nazi train full of gold but steven didn't want to do nazis again i'm not sure it was steven who didn't want to do it. i think it was george who didn't want to do it at any rate uh, also nazis didn't die in 1945 many left for the middle east and south america even hitler rumors uh, even there are even rumors that hitler got away oh i yeah i know that um i mean there was rob we could talk forever about indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull but there was a screenplay that was written for Indiana Jones 4 by the guy who did Shawshank Redemption. Why Frank I, Darabont. Frank Darabont, thank you. Frank Darabont did a script for Indiana Jones 4. Harrison Ford liked it. Steven Spielberg liked it. But see, Ford, Spielberg, and Lucas had an agreement that all three of them had to agree on, on it on a script before they move forward with it. And George didn't want Darabont's script, which that is almost half those words. I don't want a Frank Darabont script. That's almost hard to get those words out of your mouth. Like that's, that seems ridiculous. Uh, and George had what he thought was a better idea. Aliens in the jungle. Um, and you know, it, it turned out it, it worked 
it worked out the way that it worked out. And it's too bad. I've always been fascinated to know more about what that Darabont script was like. I've heard rumors that there are copies of it floating around. I have certainly never seen it. Rob, have you ever seen it? Do you know much about it? Yeah, I was going to say, I have it somewhere and I'm looking on my computer now and I'll send it to you. Love it. I have it. I would love uh, to get my my eyes on that because I would I would love to know what that that movie would have been like. I I would have loved to have seen what that movie would have been like. All right, uh, let's just do a couple more while we still have Rob here. Wes Maurer writes, "Oh God, John, I could not uh, agree more about In and Out Burger. I live in Winnipeg. Oh, the Forks. I love the Forks in Winnipeg. Visited there many times. Uh, but my family has a place in Palm Springs." And that's all they talk about. Personally, Wendy's is my favorite place. It's a thousand times better than In-N-Out Burger. Oh, let, Wendy's isn't my favorite. Wendy's? But, uh, Wendy's burgers are way better than In-N-Out. And they're, oh they're not even my favorite burgers. They're not even close to my favorite burgers. But a that's Wendy's it, burger. I quit. I'm never coming back to this show. <laughs> Come on. Wendy's. Wendy's. You know, there's a book. I think it was called Fast Food Nation or something. Yes. It wasn't. It, it was. I, I think I read that book. And in that book. They give mad props to In-N-Out Burger for the freshness of their ingredients and the fact that they even the meat they use is 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 um, like grass fed and they give it high marks like it's the only fast food organization that got the highest rating. Right. And uh, man, too bad they make it taste Wendy's. like shit, but that's fine. Oh, that's my fine. God. Yeah. yeah. Wendy's. Is, even even Wendy's is better. Anyway, uh, Jesse writes. One of three. Uh, Bo Burnham's new Netflix comedy special, Inside, has been called a comedy special. And while it has laughs, I find it to be much more of an art installation. Even if you're not a fan of Bo's, I'd recommend it as I'm not sure we'll see anything quite like it again. It's an hour and 30 minutes special written, directed, shot and performed by one man alone in quarantine. It has amazing songs written by Bo himself and manages to discuss topical issues while also showing the uh, deterioration of a man's mental well-being. The, the lines between performance art and raw reality are almost non-existent, leading this to be a depressive yet interesting look at 2020, the Internet and the state of the world through the eyes of a man locked in a room. Yeah. So, Rob, I had never heard of this special before mm. until some people brought it up on the show. Say, John, have you seen that? So I'm like, no, never even heard of it. So I tracked it down on Netflix and I watched the trailer and I thought, I can't imagine wanting to watch this. Like, I don't know if you've seen the trailer. It's just him with this little Casio keyboard music. What if I told you that I'd be in my house for a year? And just the whole trailer was like, is this supposed to get me excited about watching this? Now, listen, I haven't seen it. So I can't give any commentary about whether or not this special is any good or not because I haven't seen it. All I know is that I was like, okay, a bunch of people are talking about it. I went and watched the trailer. I'm like, this doesn't look interesting in the least. Like, I have no desire to watch this. Again, if I watched it, maybe I'd think it's the greatest thing in the world, but I haven't seen it, so I'm not crap-talking crap it because I haven't seen it. I'm just seeing the promo for it didn't do anything to make me want to watch it. I don't know, Rob, did you have a chance to see this special, this inside? Uh, if, no, if so, I, why I, or why I, not? I, ha I haven't. I, I have a friend that is convinced she that Bo Burnham is her husband-to-be. <laughs> and uh, she, in tongue-in-a-cheek way, but she 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 really loves him. And I, I sent her that that uh like the trailer or whatever talked to and she thought it was the greatest thing ever but other than that i've never seen it i mean i think he's a talented guy so i'd be curious to watch what a one-man show he he did but i'm not going to necessarily run out and do it but i'm curious to see it actually because i do think 
he's worth he does work that's worth um you know looking at and you know what in a, in a world where there's a lot of the stuff that's the same sometimes you need little pieces of content like that that are just really different yeah so maybe there's something there anyway rob we've kept you over time again thank you so much for being here we'll see of course see you again tomorrow but in the meantime where can people follow you and your adventures online uh should i make a batman joke here oh no i'll wait i'll <laughs> You can find Our everything friend. going down on the Burnett work. <laughs> oh, man, I'm using that. I'm using that, right? <laughs> Someone's already making a T-shirt for that. Uh, you can find me, yes, on the Burnett work, my YouTube channel. So please join me there. Like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Or you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on Twitter where I also go down uh, at Burnett RM. All right, dude. Thanks for being here, man. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the always upright, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Always good to have him here. But listen, guys, we still got some time, so let's keep on firing through your questions, shall we? Uh, the next one up comes to us from Alan, who writes, Hey, John, I don't know if you've talked about it, but what uh, is what is YouTube plaque behind you on the director's chair? It looks nice. Can you give us more details? Have a great day. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So, yeah, behind me here, you see right here, there's a, a YouTube plaque. If I back up, it'll be more in focus. All second. So if I back up a little bit more in focus, anyway, now it comes out of focus as I move. I guess I can take the headphones off now. So um, most of you know what it is, but basically YouTube has a program where when you hit a hundred thousand subscribers, they send you this plaque that basically says, hey, to the John Campia show for the accomplishment of hitting 100,000 subscribers. It's really, it's really nice. It is really nice. I was so excited when I got it. It's the third one I've got. Uh, I have three of these. One for when I took the AMC channel to 100,000 subscribers. The second one was when I took Collider's YouTube channel to 100,000 subscribers. And then this one uh, was uh, for taking the John Campia YouTube channel to 100,000 subscribers. So this one was really special to me, though, because it was for my solo channel. So there was there's something really, really special about that. I think the next one is either half a million or a million. Now, these friends of mine, Benny and Rafi Fine, they, they run this channel, the Fine Brothers. They run it like the React stuff and things like that. Um, they got like this diamond encrusted one. I think it was for like 10 million subscribers or something like that. So it's like, oh, isn't my little hundred thousand plaque adorable? Isn't that cute? Meanwhile, these friends of mine have like these 10 million ones. So eh, it is what it is. Yeah, I think the next milestone is either half a million or a million. It's 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 a big jump. It's a big jump. But yeah, it's a, it's a nice little program that YouTube does just to encourage their creators. So I thought it was kind of nice for them to send that out. Anyway, next up, uh, where are we at here? We are at, thanks for writing that in, Alan. Next up is Vincente who writes, Hey, John, the other day I was listening to the show and my brother was watching Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> I know where this is going. When I saw you and Anne eating on the show, it was hilarious seeing you in the Gordon Ramsay cinematic universe. Yep. Uh, a friend of mine had worked with Gordon Ramsay and when he was coming to a restaurant in Glendale, to, to shoot the final episode because, you know, every episode starts with here's a restaurant. It's in terrible trouble. We're going to do all this. And then they have the big reopening night. Right. So they got us invites to go to the big reopening night and try all the new food. And Ann and I made it on the show just for a second. I mean, we're only in there for a second or a couple of seconds at any rate. 
Uh, but it was good. I got to meet Gordon beforehand. I got to chat with Gord- Gordon before they started filming. Uh, it was a really nice, fun night. But you can always know when the replay comes on because I'll get about 40 mentions on Twitter. John, I just saw you on Kitchen Nightmares. Like, so, you know, oh, they must have replayed that one tonight. So, yeah, it comes up every once in a while. Thanks for sharing that, dude. All right, next up. Uh, Caleb writes, another stat proving how Brady is the greatest of all time in his 45 year in his 45 career playoff games. Brady has played against two thirds of the league, 20 teams. Oh, and he has at least a 500 record against all but two of them. How can anybody debate at this point? Oh, no, no, no. Make no mistake, Caleb. There is no debate. There's no debate. Tom Brady is the go. Like to try to argue against that just makes you look silly now. It doesn't matter if you don't like Tom Brady. You're not, you don't have to like Tom Brady. Not at all. But when you look at the sheer data and you look at the sheer numbers, this dude is so far above everybody else. It's insanity. He is absolutely the GOAT. Any attempt at arguing against it is just exposing a bias. I, I mean, he, the data all points to him. Uh it's just it. He's he's the greatest of all time. All right, next up, uh, we've got Jesse who writes, one of three. Finally, got back to the theater after a year, and I saw A Quiet Place 2. Awesome. I love Quiet Place 2. And here's my experience. First, the movie. Damn, John, just like uh, that, I have my favorite film of the year so far. It was incredible. And to me, even better than the amazing original. I think it might even be better than the original, too. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I absolutely loved it. Uh, The trailers, half an hour of trailers, John. Half an hour. Showtime started at 8.35. The movie started at 9. Then after all those trailers, they had the audacity to play a Coke commercial. And that was after the ad for concessions. But hey, what's new? And third, Cinemark took a good jab at streaming services. They started a, started out a clip of Black Widow, but it, was in a really, but it was really small on the screen. And then boom, it went full screen with full sound. They said, see how much better the cinematic experience is in, in the cinema? Okay, first of all, Jesse, uh, you know me, man. I have been saying and I've been beating the drum and preaching the sermon for many years now. They play too many trailers before a movie. I paid for my seat in that theater. If you want to show me the movie for free, then by all means, play a half hour of trailers, play a half hour of commercials by all means, because I'm getting the movie for free. But if I pay to be there, Don't waste a half hour of my time. And I like trailers. I made an entire documentary about trailers. I love trailers. But I don't want a half hour of trailers before I start watching my movie. And we've made this argument many times. I'm sure we'll talk about it again in the future. Um, As far as that little Cinemark ad, that's great. Because it's true. I don't care what little excuses people try to make up and make it sound like it's clever. It doesn't matter. Nothing beats the actual theatrical experience of a movie. That is the way to experience a movie. You may have other preferences and that's fine. But like there's just there's just no two ways about it. The movie theater where movies are meant to be seen, that filmmakers design their movies to be experienced best in those you know those those cathedrals of entertainment. That's the place to see them. And I, I, I like that little thing Cinemark did. I really do. All right, next up. 
Uh, BK Dan writes, John, just a random thought wanted to share with you and the audience. Which is a worse name, Peacock or CW Seed? Seriously, keep up the good work and bring on the filthy. I'll tell you what, man. I, I'm not even 100% sure what the hell CWC is, Seed is because... Uh, it, it's separate from the regular CW app, right? So CW has their CW app that you can watch CW shows on. But then they have another app called CW Seed, which is really weird because it sounds like some guy just splooshed on it, right? CW have my seed. I mean, I, it's a weird name, man. But I give CW Seed a little bit more leeway because it's a secondary streaming channel, right? It's not the main CW streaming, you know, app. It's a secondary one where it seems like they put older shows. Why they don't just put it all together into one big app, I don't know. And I've never had CW Seed. I've never watched anything on CW Seed. I don't even fully know what it is. Uh, but I will say Peacock is still the worst name because that's your primary streaming channel now. And it's a terrible name. But John, uh, you see, NBC's logo has always been the peak. I don't give a shit what their stupid logo has been. Peacock is an idiotic name for a streaming service. Now, not to take anything away from Peacock, because it's actually a really good streaming service. I was just watching a couple of things on the Peacock uh, thing on the Peacock channel yesterday. I, I think they're putting together a really good channel. I really do. But it still does not change the fact that they've Gave it a completely idiotic name. All right. Anyway, next up. Uh, Michael Gallo writes, part one. Hey, John, first time sending in a question. Thank you, man, for being here. Appreciate that. But I've been a, been a big fan for years. Followed you all the way back since AMC Movie Talk. Thank you, man. I was a huge fan of Smallville years ago. And still to this day, it's my favorite superhero show. Uh, it brought emotion, great character development, awesome action scenes. My question is, what do you think about Smallville pilot uh, getting 8.4 million views and Superman and Lois got 1.7 million views? Love to hear your thoughts on it. Well, it's like it's a complete apples and oranges comparison, right? Think about the era that Smallville came out in. It was a completely new and novel thing to take a major superhero character and give it the YA treatment and put it into a show. That was extremely novel. God, was it 20 years ago that Smallville kind of first came out? It was new. It was different. It was all that kind of stuff. Contrast that with Superman and Lois. We are now in a market that is flooded with superhero content flooded with it we just did a rundown last week where we we're just off the top of our heads we came up with 30 different superhero shows that are out there like 30 not to mention this superman in superman and lois started off in a bad spot because of how badly the supergirl showrunners treated this character they treated this superman character with the utmost disrespect and they just spit on this character every chance they had. And it's not Superman. So you put all that stuff together. The fact that the, the market is now flooded with superhero content. And a lot of it is YA kind of superhero content. So there's tons of it out there. A lot of people already hated this Superman because of the way they treated him in, in uh, Supergirl. And so... Listen, I'll tell you what, I'm surprised it got as many viewers as it did. 
And by the way, the number of people who tune in for for a first episode is not a reflection of how good the show is. Because that's just the first. Nobody knows if the show's good or not on the first episode. You have to watch it first to find out. The big question will be is how does the audience of Superman and Lois grow? Because the numbers have been going up for it because the show's fantastic. The show's absolutely fantastic. What are we now? Eight, eight episodes in, guys? Help me out in the... Um, Help me out in the live chat there. Are we eight episodes or nine episodes into Superman and Lois now? I can't can't remember exactly. Now, I will say that I am a fan of Smallville. I watched the whole series. Uh, Luis is saying that there's nine episodes. So for, wait a minute. We got Super Mario is saying eight, but Kevin, Xavier, Luis, they're all saying that we're nine. So let's go with nine. Thank you, S-Beam, uh, Black Bono Lala, and others. We're at nine. Okay. I'll, I'll say this. Who knows if at the end of the day, Superman and Lois will be the better show or if Smallville will be the better show. Smallville had 10 seasons. Right now we're nine episodes into Superman and Lois. I will say this. I think right now, I think Superman in Lois is the better show after nine episodes. So, I mean, if I rewatch the first nine episodes of Smallville today and then rewatch the first nine episodes of Superman and Lois, I think Superman and Lois might even be the better show for now. Now, Smallville got better and better for a number of years. And whether or not Superman and Lois does that, we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But I will say at this point in its development and only limited to this point in its development. I actually think Superman and Lois is an even better show for now. Can it, can it have that increase in quality like Smallville did for a lot of years? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see, but for now I'm really impressed with this Superman and Lois show, man. I am very impressed with this Superman and Lois show. Anyway, thanks for writing that in Michael. Appreciate you, man. All right, next up. We've got an anonymous viewer writes in. Uh, you mentioned Netflix does a poor job of advertising its shows. Yep. Uh, Good Morning America recently discussed Disney Plus's uh, Zenimation. Peacock has the Today Show. How much of a benefit would it be for Netflix to have a daily morning show to discuss its offerings? Listen, I, I'll, I'll give you a little something here, okay? little true story here. True story. Back in the day... We actually made, now this is going back a, a number of years. We actually made a pitch to Netflix of doing a either daily or weekly show that Netflix would finance and Netflix would pay for. And we were asking for a good amount. I'm not going to lie. We were asking for a good amount of money, but we went in and we actually made a pitch for, to let us produce and either daily, we offer them two options, and either daily or a weekly show to highlight three things. What is coming to Netflix, what is on Netflix, and what is leaving Netflix so that Netflix subscribers could be, number one, entertained, but number two, always be in the know about what is coming and going and all the gems, because Netflix's library is huge. All the gems that are on Netflix that we thought um, we could 
uh, highlight and bring attention to and all that kind of stuff. The meetings went pretty deep. And ultimately, the, the talks ultimately just stalled because I think of two things. One, the dollar figure that was being presented wasn't what the dollar figure we kind of thought it should be. And two, I think there was a part of Netflix that was thinking we could do this ourselves. We could do this ourselves and we wouldn't have to pay X amount of a production fee for somebody else to do it. And so ultimately, I can't remember exactly how it felt, but ultimately it just kind of stalled and didn't go anywhere. No hard feelings or anything like that. It just kind of stalled and didn't go anywhere. Um, But yeah, it's... uh, I think it would be great. I really think it's something they should do. I don't know that they have the right people to do it, but I think it's absolutely something they should do. I hundred percent, especially when you understand that they are terrible at promoting and making people aware. If Netflix were to make a Netflix show about the things coming that are on and that are leaving Netflix, I think it would make for a much more informed viewer base. And I think it would be a tremendous idea for them. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. Uh, Next up. Uh, an anonymous viewer also writes when watching uh, uh, perennial movies on TV example it's a wonderful life the Ten Commandments credits are before the movie when did the credits start appearing at the end uh, is one reason of mind uh, uh, is one reason of mid and post credit scenes to get people to watch them again no listen it used to be for a long long time that there were credits at the beginning of the movie now there were also the main credits at the end but it was forever. I I think the first movie I watched where I really recognized that there weren't any credits to open the movie, it just jumped into the movie, I think might have been Die Hard 3. I think that might have been Die Hard 3. Let me, let me just bring this up here for a second. Uh, Die Hard 3, which was... What was it? 26 years ago. Die Hard 3 in 1995. Because that movie starts with the musical montage. You see shots of the city. And all of a sudden, a building blows up. And that's how the movie started. But And then there were still a lot of movies that would have like opening credits. You know, you have the title of the movie. Directed by. Starring. Produced by. Blah, blah, blah. And they'd have credits all over the place. And then the movie would start. The Christopher Reeve Superman movie has some iconic opening credits. Go back and watch the opening credits to Superman. I mean, it's like great, but there were always opening credits and it feels like today they've kind of, they've done away with them. They've kind of done away with it. And I'm glad I, I want to get into the movie, put the credits at the end. But yeah, the first one I remember seeing that some of you guys are saying like the Superman. Uh, some people are saying back to the future. I don't even remember that. Uh, so I'm saying rush hour two, but the first one I at least remember seeing that for was, uh, was Die Hard. That's the first one I remember at any rate. So I'm sure there were others before that. Okay, uh, let's keep going here. Next up, we've got Suthius writes, did Gods of Egypt halted uh, Alex uh, Proyas's career? The Crow and Dark City were pretty good. I liked iRobot and I didn't mind knowing with Nick Cage. I wasn't all that big on knowing. Anyway, I didn't mind um, Gods of Egypt either, but it was pretty much pegged as awful. He hasn't directed any movies since then. No, I thought Gods of Egypt was just god awful. Gods of Egypt was god awful. Now, 
Hold a second here. Uh, I believe, I know we talked about a few months ago the the idea of him doing something else. Yeah, the last main film he did was Gods of Egypt. Now, he's done a couple of shorts. I cannot remember what it was now, but I remember probably about a year ago, we talked about a property that he was looking at doing. Again, I, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but we were talking about a property that Alex Perez was looking at doing, and I cannot remember what it was. But there's nothing on his credits list right now saying he has anything upcoming. Um, so if you go down to his director's credits, the last thing, the, the last feature he had is right there, Gods of Egypt, which, listen, I know there's some debate about the quality of Gods of Egypt. I thought Gods of Egypt was horrible. I got some friends of mine that actually like it. I, I, I do. I have some friends of mine that actually like it. I thought that movie was horrible. Was it so horrible that it should have killed the guy's directing career? No. I mean, it's a really bad movie, but it's not like it's a top 20 worst film of all time. And even if it was, everybody has a bad day at the office, right? And I don't even think it was that. I mean, I think it was really bad, but I don't think it was like top 20, top 30, top 40, all time worst films. But even if it was, so what? So I don't know. I hope to see him return. I I mean, he's also... He's exhibited a questionable attitude a couple of times. Like I've seen some of his stuff where whatever, but I hope he makes a return. I really do. Cause I think kind of one car crash of a movie should not be enough to derail your career. So I, I hope at some point he's, he's given another chance to do something else. I really do. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Sergeant Ward and Sergeant Ward writes genius idea for a bond show. Okay. How about instead of a 007 show, it will be a six-season anthology show focusing on a different agent per season. Six, because, you know, 007. Well, what about 008 and 009? Anyway, uh, season one will be 001, season two, 002, etc. Good idea, right? Um, I'm not so sure. I What I don't mind, and by the way, Kevin Bloom sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that, man. Um the idea of a bond or of a double O or of her majesty's secret service anthology series, not bad, but I think you do one or two episodes per agent as opposed, because if you just follow that formula, season one is double O one season two is double O two season three is double O three. I think you're going to fall into a formula or a pattern you probably fall into a formula or pattern a little bit quickly, but if you just do an anthology series where you, where like one or two episodes is following a, a quick short story of one double O agent, whatever, that could be interesting. I could be down for that. Yeah. That's actually not a bad idea. I've often thought that the James Bond universe should expand out a little bit. What about the other double O's? Now we're about to see another double O in Lashana Lynch. Uh, in this thing. So that's good. But yeah, what about those other agents? That would be curious to see. All right. Time for one more, guys. And then we got to wrap it up for today. Uh, Dex Star writes, uh, 
Uh, hello. Hope you are doing well. I am doing well, Dexstar. Thank you so much. From the quirky score to the existential questions and deeper character dives, Loki is the best not men in black, men in black thing out there right now. I wish the sequels had this flair. I mean, yeah, in some ways it's a little bit men in black, isn't it? That's not a bad thing. Look, all I know is I am loving this Loki show. I've already seen episode two. You guys get to see it tonight or tomorrow morning, depending on where it is you live. And of course, tomorrow we're going to be doing our Loki episode two open spoiler review. I sure hope you guys will come back and join us for that. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Dexter. I think it's done a really good job. And I've never really, I like the way you put that. I've never thought of it in terms of it's kind of like a non-men in black, men in black. I think that's a really good comparison. Well done. And by the way, uh, Zaid uh, Habjoka sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Zaid. Appreciate that, man. And guys, that'll do it. Uh, yeah, and uh, Yellow Flash is saying it's 100 degrees. It's 104 degrees here right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, so I think I'm going to be wrapping up today's show, and I'm going to go and hop in the pool for a little bit to cool down. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. It really is an honor that you come and hang out with us here like this. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness to the show. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us at the John Campbell Show, thank you for your support. Now, I do want to point out there are still a bunch of questions to go from uh, Habs for Life, Skylar, Hillman, Suthius, and on. Do not worry, guys. I've got a companion video that I'm going to be doing a little bit later today, you know, since we're not doing a pregame show uh, again, because I've already seen it. So we're not doing a Loki pregame show today. We'll start those next week, but I will be doing a big companion video a little bit later today. So if you sent in a question, haven't seen it answered yet, check out the companion video a little bit later and see if it's on there. All right, guys, thank you so much for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my brethren, bye-bye.